Welcome to Rhyme and Reason, hosted by Dr. Barry. Today, Barry welcomes life coach and musician, Charity Hare. And now, here's Dr. Barry Ryman. Zach. <laughs> Dr. Barry. I we meet you. again. I miss you. I'd like to get together like in real life. I'm, I'm going to be in Lake Worth tomorrow. Um, it's take your kids to work day. Is that going to be your day off? It, of course it's my day off. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. We're like two ships in the night. How are you going to get more dad jokes if you don't meet my daughters? You know what? Someone, um, someone told me a really good dad joke the other day, but I'm so bad with jokes that it has, I don't even remember the joke or the punchline. So Next time they tell it to me, I'm going to write it down, put it on a post-it right here, so maybe I can out-dad joke your dad joke. I mean, we, this would be reverse joke day. I, I know, but I, I dropped the ball. I know that it's something to do with a cow. Oh, I got it. Knock-knock? Was it a knock-knock nope. joke? Not, not the interrupting cow one, although I do love that one. Okay, me too. Yeah, that was a classic. Or moo too. <laughs> oh gosh we we might have to get a new thing <laughs> what <laughs> all right what is green and has wheels gee you've stumped me yet again grass i lied about the wheels <laughs> <laughs> i like that one i like that want- one you want no, one more? No, I don't want one more. Save one more. Okay. No, one no, no. More. One more. All right. What do you call a fish with no eye? Got me again. A fish. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Either I'm I'm losing my sense of humor. Or that one was actually really funny too. It was. It was. It really anyways, was. anyway, really all right. Uh, joke joke time is over. Um, how was your week? Anything anything you want to talk about? Anything happening no, in mean, your I life? Like one thing that um, I can talk about might even have some relevance with this uh, with this broadcast is um, you know I uh, picked up my medallion. Actually, it was two nights ago, and um, the speaker at that meeting it was. Uh, his journey and recovery along with his mental health issues. So that was, you know, a precursor to today. I think Hmm. it was very, very good. And I also struggle with, you know, those similar issues, but that's been my week. My week was very nice and relaxing yesterday. I had one of the best days off. How about you? What'd you do? I uh, spent the day with my dogs, a lot of, you know, pampering them. Honestly, that sounds really rough. <laughs> oh, no. As you could tell, I spend way too much time with my 10 and 8-year-old daughters. Um, they even think my jokes fucking suck. So, But, you know, I'm working on them. I'm trying to get them polished. Um, I did see you know. your TikTok. I'm sorry? I saw your TikTok. I watched your TikTok. Oh, the one from Target? Yeah, and the target. Yeah, how was it? I mean, this is the, you know, it was good. It brought me back to my childhood and my dad. Can I tell you what we got at Target that day? 
if you want to get brought back to your childhood, I've introduced yes, my daughters. They got two different things. They got a light bright. Mm-hmm. Remember those? I, and, that was one of my favorite, favorite things. Okay. So they came out with this mini light bright. It's just this little one, but it still has the papers and you still stick the pegs in. Uh-huh. And it works. So that was awesome. And then we got a Snoopy snow cone machine. Get out. Swear to God. It's got it's all, except it's all going back to the best. Yep. So we made snow cones, but the snow cone machine only gives three very little paper cups to make your snow cones in. Now, when yeah, I was a kid, those cups looked like big gulps. Yeah. You know what I mean? But in all reality, they're about this big for anybody who's watching and not just listening. Um, they're about three inches, which I think is, I mean, men don't really know how to estimate size, but I'm <laughs> no, I think what is like three inches in some ca- is really like eight inches for some, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm going to go with three inches. But anyways, okay. uh, they loved it. They didn't love the the flavoring. That might be on me because it was uh, it, it back in the day. They it used to come as a liquid, and you would have it already in that little Snoopy bottle. But this yeah. was pow- this was powder, and you had to mix water into it, and you had to really guesstimate. They didn't give you like the exact no instructions. No, no. So I was like tasting it and, and I, I don't blame them for not loving it, but they did love the fact that they can do this thing and shave yeah. the ice. Um, yeah. I've had a good week. I'm actually speaking tonight at an NA meeting at six o'clock, which uh, I got called yesterday to, to do that. So I'm looking forward to that kind of getting out of the house and okay. doing something for my recovery. Yeah. I'm speaking so, at our alumni meeting tonight. So, Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah. Wow, we're twinning. We are twinning. Larry, thank you so much. I appreciate that. You know, we're trying. This is only episode number eight, and I I don't emphasize the word only, but it's only episode eight. This is episode eight already. Yeah. Really? Huh. Yeah, I mean, as long as the production notes are right, I I think this is episode eight, but who's counting? No. So I, I have good news and bad news for you, Zach. The good news is besides saving a ton of money on my car insurance because I switched to Geico, the good news is we will not be discussing sports today. Oh, man, I did all the research on the sports. Mm. Yeah. The bad news is our guest next week, is all we're going to do is going to talk sports. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, me too. too. um, That's a little teaser for next week. Um, This week... We have Charity Hair. Um, I've had the honor and privilege of meeting Charity. Charity began her career as a runway fashion model. And as a result, she was able to travel the world. I believe she started modeling. I think she told me offline she started modeling around the age of 18. After about a decade of modeling, she also got her first record deal back in 1999. Um, she is a talented musician. She shared stages with Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Alanis Morissette, to name a few. In 2019, she found out, um, she found actually her way into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and began her journey of recovery. Um, what we don't often talk about, um, or, or it's not talked about too much in quote unquote recovery or in the 12 step meetings are these dual diagnoses, right? Um, it's mentioned in some of the literature, but you know, for the most part, we at the meetings try to focus on recovery and the disease of addiction or alcoholism. Um, but what Charity found out is she started to have like a decline in cognitive function 
And despite living um, drug and alcohol free, she was later diagnosed with attention deficit disorder, which I struggle with. Um, I don't know if you struggle with, oh, squirrel. Um, I struggle, <laughs> you know, it's hard to, you know, part of the reason that I'm not in private practice anymore is every day was a challenge to sit there for 45 to 50 minute sessions, one-on-one -on -one therapy, really trying my hardest to focus back to back to back to back to back. And, and just speaking from personal experience where I found my, um, uh, I, I don't even know the word to use, but where I found my comfort zone was actually out of that chair in the community, interacting with people, helping on a much larger scale than just individually. And, and so with that being said, on my ADHD tangent, uh, let's bring on Charity Hair. Hi, guys. Nice to see uh, you. Thanks for hi, having Charity. me. Hello. Uh, so, sorry if we were a little talkative. Um, you know, Zach and I tend to go back and forth a bit. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. ADHD um, wandering. Okay. So you were following it. People with ADHD, <laughs> they really do follow along. It's just, you know, they might only catch bits and pieces. Um, so um, welcome to Rhyme and Reason Charity. This is a, a um, hopefully a fun and interactive show kind of be yourself, say what you want, curse like a sailor. Um, we're good with all that stuff. Um, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about your story? Um, you know, what got you into doing what you were doing in your, you know, earlier years, um, where you grew up? I know you've shared with me offline. You lived in the UK for 20 years. You know, there's been a lot of, you, you've had a pretty freaking cool life. So oh, thank you. Yeah, I think I've had a pretty cool life, you know, uh, uh, lots of ups and downs, um, and it's still getting cooler, even cooler now that I'm sober, um, <laughs> which I wouldn't have expected, but it's really nice actually being able to remember more not being drunk. <laughs> um, so I, I grew up in a small town in Plant City, um, Florida, and uh, left there when I was 18 uh, to start modeling. Got my first contract in Japan, Osaka, Japan, and got on a plane for the first time for 24 hours and ended up on another planet, which had the same moon as ours, which is how I knew I was still on Earth. But other Wait, let me, let, let me ask you something. You had never been on a plane before, and no. your very first plane ride was a 24-hour flight to Japan. Yep. The first time that's, I tried sushi as well, on a plane. That's fucked up. Dang. But then the next day I woke up going, mm, sushi. <laughs> <laughs> and I was hooked from then on. So, yeah. So I grew up in a really small town. In fact, my family didn't drink at all. Like, so I was never exposed to alcohol um, until I got to that first place where actually all the drinks were free for the models. We just, they were like, here, come to these clubs and whatever. And um, I had my first drink there. And I remember not liking it. I didn't like it. I was like, ew, it's gross. Um, and then I didn't drink for like a really long time. And then I had my kids. And then I started drinking because I was just completely overwhelmed all the time. Um, which I know now is ADHD. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Well, um, well, but anyway, take, me, I... take me back. I'm going to, I'm going to keep you in your ADHD train Thank on you. track. Okay. So every once in a while, you're going to, you're going to hear me say, take me back. Okay. Thank so take, take me back. You, you get to Japan. Um, you, you shared with me, we, we had a friend in common from me being back in the day. My, my seventh grade girlfriend was Nikki Taylor, who was, a uh, this is my claim to fame, right? She was a superstar, supermodel. What do they call them? Like, uh, um, supermodel. Super she was a supermodel. Supermodels, yeah. I believe. Am I wrong? Did you guys share a manager? I, I, something. We had this. We were in the same agency. We were in Irene Marie in in Miami. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, I think she might be a, a little bit younger than me. She is, because she is my age, and I believe I'm about a year and a half younger than you. Yeah. We won't disclose what those ages <laughs> are, but. Yeah. She, so yeah. Let me just tell you about her. Okay, in seventh grade. I lucked out. I definitely outshot my coverage or whatever the term is. Um, cause I was short. I mean, I'm six foot three now I was short and she was like a giraffe, you know, she was so tall and I don't even know what happened. Like, you know, it, but I remember her just towering over me, which was, I guess, big in the modeling industry. Like if you're tall, you know, that's one of the things you look, for. I think you're about five foot eight, right? Um, which, yeah. Yeah. So, and, so in model talk, that's not even that tall, even though in girl talk, that's tall, but okay. So I digress. That was nope. my ADHD train, but go ahead. So okay. you're in the same agency. You get fun, you get fun things from there. And you might not have thought about this when you were, when she was towering over you about, but I was a lot taller than the kids in my class too. I didn't start to really feel normal until I got out of school she might have felt like a total alien <laughs> she probably did you know she's like growing up anyway so um yeah so then i went to japan then i went to paris then i went to la then i went to new york and then i went back to paris and then i went back to london and then i stayed in london for a really long time and i ended up um i'd always done music um but I had started to have these weird dreams where I was standing on stage holding a guitar and I thought oh wonder if I could do that. And then two weeks later, um, a friend of a friend said that they were looking for someone to start. They were going to start this girl band. I was like, okay, whatever. So I went in and um, it was actually really legit. And it was, um, they uh, introduced me to two other girls um, and we all played guitars and we all sang and we were in a band together. And it was super duper fun. Um, and it just kind of went from there. I still did some modeling. Um, music um you were on the cover of some certain magazines or in certain magazines what magazines have you been in i've been in vogue a few times um i've been uh shot by some big photographers um steven mizell um rankin you know artsy stuff um and then not so artsy stuff i've definitely been in the jc pennies a few times <laughs> which was really fun um because I, that was really fun <laughs> in fact <laughs> I, I went all the way to texas to get to get photographed in beautiful um girdles and grandmother underwear <laughs> when i was 20 something it was wonderful so i've tried on all the outfits I've tried them all on now very nice yeah. and so 
when did you discover that you had, and I've heard some of your stuff, you have an amazing voice. You're, you're a very talented musician. Um, when did you discover that you had a knack for music? Um, well, I always was playing whatever I could get my hands on from the time I was a little kid. So you might have noticed that I'm really, really pale. So I don't have much of a skin tone for being outside during those long, hot summers where I grew up in, in Plant City, Florida. I would just get blistered. So I was I would stay inside and just and play piano or, or we had a dulcimer. I had I played violin for many years um, and I always sang. I used to my, my parents had a barn where they kept all their old records and they would put on the Beatles and I would just go out there and sing. And then, then I'd put on the Cinderella ones and sing those two. And then, you know, like I always sang, I, did, I never thought about doing it professionally until I started having those really weird dreams. And I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. And then, and then I could, and um, I'm making it sound easy. It was not easy. It was not easy. I mean, the first time you get on stage in front of people, whatever you think you sound like <laughs> when you open your mouth, you don't really know what's going to come out. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, I was on the national lottery with my first band and that was like the biggest gig you could book because it was like right before they pulled the Thunderball numbers, everyone was watching and we performed. And um, I was absolutely terrified. I remember um, my record company boss, um, Rob Dickens was really good friends with Cher and Cher came into the studio the night before we were on this thing. And she, she said to me, she said, <laughs> she said, you're going to shit yourself. <laughs> I was like, what? And she goes, I literally shat myself right before I had to go on stage for that one. Cher did? 14 million people. Yeah, she said that to me. She was so funny. Um, and I was like, okay. She goes, so, you know, don't sweat it. And I'm like, okay. And, um, and it was really funny because it was my first like live TV performance. I got to pull the thunderball and everything. I was like pulling out the numbers and then we had to go and perform. And then um, I just remember opening my mouth to sing and just something came out. I don't even know what it was. It was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and then like years later, I was singing for a friend in a, in a pub, um, just like with their band or whatever, just for fun. And this really drunk guy came up to me and said, you know, you can really sing. <laughs> He's like, I saw you on the lottery and I thought, mm -mm. and this was like 10 years later. I was like, oh my God, it wasn't my imagination. I sucked so hard that time. <laughs> so leave it, leave it to um, people who've had a few to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't sound like you sucked. I mean, listen, I've heard your stuff and um, you've sent me a few videos of, of oh, you no, performing. I don't suck. That's what's so funny about it. Like everyone will have a terrible moment where they open their mouth and they don't know what's going to come out. But that's the beauty of, of so many imperfections. You know, I, I actually, when I was in London, I got to know a lot of really well-known musicians and, um, you know, so many of them, if they're having an off day, like that, you know, um, my ex-boyfriend, was a producer and worked with Eric Clapton a lot and said sometimes he just would come in and just couldn't couldn't play just had to go home and come back another day and because of his substance use no no just some days he just couldn't get his mind right and he just wasn't wasn't just wasn't as good he wasn't himself like that's that happens sometimes with Eric people. Clapton um you know he's he's been in recovery a long time he's got his own treatment center out in the islands 
um, he there was a world convention for Narcotics Anonymous, and these world conventions happen every couple of years, and they're usually in some pretty cool places. I, I've been to one in my life. It was like 1997 or 1998 in Atlanta, but it's been in Cartagena, Colombia. It's been in Greece. It's been all over the place, and I'm not sure which one this. I think this one might have been in California. So they have a, a pretty large musical act that will perform at the convention, and Eric Clapton was the guest at this NA Narcotics Anonymous World Convention. And he comes out on the stage and he says, hello, my name is Eric and I'm an addict. And the convention committee has put me up to singing this song. And he busted out and started singing cocaine. <laughs> you know, it was like everybody went nuts, but I could just imagine what he was like, you know, in active addiction. And, and you hear stories. What was that movie that was just about um, Queen? Right. Um, and, and what he went through and how he literally, you know, before he died, you know, how the band basically fell apart um, due to his abuse. And it's a shame sometimes, you know, you have all these talented musicians. So kind of speaking of that, you've been in two different industries um, with with two different outcomes but those industries, when it comes to substance use disorder, alcoholism, they run pretty parallel to each other, right? Um, the fashion industry and the music industry. And you've been blessed enough to be a part of both. I can't imagine what that was like. Um, can you talk a little bit about, and you don't necessarily have to mention names, but if you want to tell any celeb stories, that's great too. But, you know, wh what goes on? behind closed doors in both of these industries um, because it's got to be all about the partying. Um, believe it or not, it can be all about the partying. I didn't really get too much into the partying um, because like I said, I grew up and there was not alcohol in my family. Like we didn't, we didn't drink. And I was told that my father who I hadn't known my, you know, my whole childhood was an alcoholic and that was all that was ever said about alcohol. So um, I guess I kind of knew that I might be prone to it in a way, um, but I didn't really believe it until it really happened to me. Um, as far as there, there is a lot of drug abuse. And in fact, um, there was this huge scandal in my, in my modeling agency in Paris. Um, <laughs> our bookers used to show up like, like one, one of my, one of the, like the big, um, the ones who would book Vogue and like all the top photographers, like, I mean, they would turn up sometimes, like one of them turned up, like puked down her leg when she'd been out partying the night before. And she's just like, casual vomit on her leg. And then um, I come to find out later on that um, one of the bookers was dealing cocaine to a couple of the girls. And then the BBC had this, um, had a camera and, filmed this thing going on and she totally lost her career and no one would ever book her again. And she was gorgeous. And I don't even know that she did cocaine all that much. Like, you know, it was just, it was rampant. I mean that, and, um, you know, sexual abuse and like, um, I don't know. I managed to keep my head above water and all that. I, I found it really strange because I was so focused on getting where I wanted to go. I did go to a lot of those celebrity parties and, you know, I went on a couple dates with Ben Stiller, lovely man, um, met lots of rock stars. I love him. Love Ben Stiller. He's such a great guy. Um, you kind of look like him, dear. What was that? Uh, thank you. I think. <laughs> what was that? What was that like um, to be out with him? 
he was so like he kept laughing at my jokes and i was like oh dude you so want my pants don't you like (laughs) 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 but uh uh, what was it like? He was, he's so low key. He's so low key. But then we ended up going to, he took me to Jennifer Aniston's birthday party on our first date. He took me to dinner and went to Jennifer Aniston's birthday party. Which time out, time out. <laughs> I know. How, as a dating happen? person, as a dating person, like Zach, how do you top a first date like that? I mean, <laughs> it, it, you know, Charity, you are going to be forever depressed the rest of your entire dating life, right? Because there's not going to be a first date that measures up to, let's see, how was your first date? Well, one, I was on a date with Ben Stiller. And two, he took me to Jennifer Aniston's birthday party. I mean, that's like sitting courtside. Sorry for the sports reference, Zach, but... That's like sitting courtside on the floor at a basketball game and then for the rest of your life sitting in the nosebleeds, okay? Like, what was that experience like, Charity? It was hilarious because I think I was about 25 at the time and I had just booked, I had just done this photo shoot for Vogue. I'd just been in a Pantene commercial and um, it was all really surreal and I had run into him a couple of times like in the whiskey bar and... At that time, I didn't really drink much either, and he wasn't really drinking either. So we just kind of ran into each other a few times, and then eventually, you know, he just rang me up and asked me out, and I was like, okay. And it was just, like, not a big deal. He was like, I'm going to my friend's birthday party. And then I didn't find out who it was until we got there. And I'm standing next to Brad Pitt and and being introduced to Jennifer Aniston. Um, really super nice people. They're just so normal. Like, whatever normal is, I don't know. It was very weird, but um, very, very strange times. But that's what happens. That's what happens when you're in that world for a minute. And, and, and I didn't stay there for very long. I was like, I had no business there. I just remember people, I wasn't acting or anything like that. I didn't, I didn't really want anything. I was just kind of like, these things kind of happened. I was going back to Paris in a minute. <laughs> so. Did they have sushi? Did they have sushi? I don't even remember there being food because I remember being so self-conscious sitting across from, from. Zach, who do you think she's going to say sitting across from who? Uh, you know. Uh... <laughs> Did you oh. hear that? I lost Wait, it. Wait, no, we got a cliffhanger. Sitting across from who? I was sitting across from Ben at dinner. And I, I remember he took me to this like Asian fusion kind of place. And it was like, it, it was like, um, like Thai curry or something. And I remember being really self-conscious about having rice in my teeth and like, just like, I don't know. I, I was really happy to be there, but it was just really odd. And then the waitress kept coming over and like, you know, acting like it was normal that I was sitting there across from Ben Stiller. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so that I, I don't even remember there being food there. I, I mean, I think I was so scared of food cause I, I'm so clumsy. I have ADHD and obviously I didn't know I had ADHD, but that's why I also have binocular vision disorder, which means my eyes are like, you know, that, you know, that app that used to make your eyes go, woo. <laughs> 
you know that what was it um snapchat used to have um a filter where you have the two eyes and they go woo that's basically what my eyes do if they weren't working super hard so i can't judge distances and sometimes i'll just trip over things like randomly so i was just like the fact that i was a runway model ever was ridiculous yeah i was just gonna ask about that <laughs> <laughs> But I was, um, mm -hmm. I, I, I was in a few shows in, in Paris and Milan. I remember I was sitting in between Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell getting my makeup done. I was like, what's happened? How did this happen? This is like bizarre. But I was like, yes, I did it because they all told me I couldn't and I can. <laughs> so let's, let's switch gears for a second. And, and I love hearing this stuff and I think it's so interesting. And, and, you know, when I, when I was bringing you on, I said, you know, one of the first things I said was you've had such an interesting life, right? And, and interesting is not always measured by the people we brush elbows with or, but it makes for good combo, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. if, if we look at alcohol and anxiety, right? what do you personally think the connection is there um and and i have my beliefs which i can share after yours but um you know let, let's take anxiety first people struggle with anxiety it's a it's a very normal human emotion really? um some of us mask it better some of us try to say we don't have any of it i call bullshit, right um mm -hmm. at the end of the day the majority of human beings that walk this earth have some types of anxiety Absolutely. Absolutely. There are, are lots of different ways to cope with anxiety. Yes. And yes. there's positive ways and there's negative ways, right? And then there's the kind of in between, which we're not 100% sure if they work, but maybe they do, maybe they don't. Right. Um, I'm assuming you brought up that you weren't really so much of a drinker until you had kids. And I, I can tell you from having children that nine times out of 10, they're huge anxiety producers. Okay. Yeah. Because on, on, yeah. on multiple levels, right? It's, am I doing a good job? Am I the parent I'm supposed to be? There's no fucking handbook that comes along with this. Am I saying the right things? Am I introducing them to the right things? Oh my God, I got to make them dinner. Oh my God, I have to get them to school on time. Oh my God, they're driving me absolutely nuts. Oh my God, they won't stop fighting. Oh my God, they're being so sweet. Oh no, they're back to fighting, right? There's a lot of anxiety that comes from having kids and it is not uncommon to hear what you said that your alcoholism really took off after you had kids. So can you talk a little bit about the connection between anxiety, alcohol, and, and your story? Yes. Now, everything you said, 100,000%, so true. And I, and I think like, you know, anxiety is something that obviously a lot of us had to really come face to face with in a huge way during the pandemic. Um, these things that you just can't control about your life. Um, and also, I think for me, motherhood was like, I had this idea that I was going to be this wonderful cookies and milk mom who was going to like to do glitter projects all day and just go with the flow. And that wasn't who I turned out to be. I love my children, but obviously having ADHD and having sensory issues and not knowing what it was contributing to the anxiety of everything and then like it was one thing like i had some help to teach me how to get them into schedule and everything like that um but sticking to a schedule 
I didn't know I had ADHD. I was like, why is this so hard? I was like, I'm so good at being a rock star and a model. <laughs> Everything I've put my mind to so far has been, I've been able to do it and, and feel happy and figure out how to get my jam going. But motherhood was so difficult um, with twins exactly because, I mean, I think with one child, it's, it's hard enough to feel like you're doing enough with one child. But with two, I mean, I constantly felt inadequate. Like I just... I wasn't winning this game at all. You had tw you have twins. Yeah, I have twins. Um, so, and and the, I just remember the first time they came out of their swaddle and started to get out of their bed and come down and and keep finding me after I was trying to put them to bed. And this would go on for hours. And my husband was like, "When are you going to spend some time with me?" And I'm like, "Do you see what's happening here? <laughs> like, do you see what's happening?" Um, and was that Ben? Was that Ben Stiller? No, it wasn't Ben Stiller. Oh, okay. Sorry, just trying to keep track. All right, no. go ahead. No, I, I, I later on did get married to a very normal, nice person, for the most part. Um, but uh, yeah, and I had this bottle of gin in the laundry room. Now, I, I remember the first time I hid it from anyone as well. I remember it had the kids had been getting out of the bed and coming to find me. <laughs> for hours <laughs> they were like three and i was like you guys gotta go to bed i was so tired i hadn't had any sleep they were they were like waking up all night long too i was just exhausted and i found someone had left some gin in the uh in the laundry closet and because we didn't really drink either and i remember being so exasperated that was the first time that i've started to think uh oh this is not good this doesn't look good um and i had I didn't tell anybody about it for the longest time that that's what I was doing to cope with the kids getting out of bed. It did help for a while, but then it, you know, then you're just robbing Peter to pay Paul. Basically you're going to be tired the next day too. My, my, uh, my biological father who just recently got back in contact with me likes to tell me, okay, when you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, you're going to end up making Peter mad and nobody can work with a sore Peter. Don't be trying to work with a sore Peter. It's basically what I'm the point I'm making here. Um, but yeah, so I spoke to the other mom. Zach, you got that? I, don't I got be that. robbing Peter to pay Paul because you, you sore don't Peter. A, don't get sore Peter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't be trying to work with a sore Peter, Zach. Uh -uh. It's not good for anybody. Um, so I was living in England right then, and I don't know if you know this, but the English they drink a lot. I mean, they drink a lot, a lot. That's part of the culture. So I kind of confided to a couple of the other moms about what I was doing. And because they were always talking about wine o'clock, like, oh, it's wine o'clock. And that was like just a normal thing. Like they, they called one of the moms called it push through. Want to come over for a play date for push through? And they would just drink wine like until they could get the kids to go to bed. So it seemed normal. I thought it was normal, maybe. And maybe I just. Zach, maybe she yeah. just what? Yeah. Maybe she just, uh, hmm. She's coming back. She's here. Is, is that me? Causing yeah, that was you. All right. I'm going to go stand next to my router. <laughs> scene change, scene change, scene change. There's also a nice tree here next to my router. Are there squirrels? There are, there's no squirrels <laughs> right now, but there's a tree now. Okay. How's that? Perfect. Next, my router now. Sorry about that. I thought it was you. 
<laughs> so you were going over, you were doing these push throughs. And what I'm hearing is <clears throat> in the UK, people drink a lot, right? They have lots of pubs. Yeah. Okay. People drink a lot everywhere. Okay. But, you know, with the exception of maybe Ireland, they just drink all the time. Um, yeah. But you were, and if, if I'm not wrong, you can tell me that it, this was, it became very normalized to do what you were doing, that yeah. it was not, you know, and my mom used to tell me, she didn't ever talk about my sore Peter, but <laughs> she used to tell me, you are who your friends are. Mm. And I used to tell her she was crazy. Oh, I have great friends. Yeah. My great friends when I was in active addiction were all doing the same things as me, reinforcing what I was doing, making it feel normal to be doing what I was doing, even though it was beyond abnormal to live the life I was living the way I was living it. Um, when we look at alcohol, alcohol is such a social drug that is socially acceptable that you can walk into a grocery store and stick it in your shopping cart and buy it, right? Um, there's not a stigma with alcohol the way there's a stigma with heroin or crack cocaine. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine walking into Publix and, excuse me, where's your heroin located? Oh, aisle six. Thank you. And oh, the crack cocaine. Crack. <laughs> yes, crack cocaine you can also find on aisle six. It's a little higher than the heroin up on the shelf, right? Like, but if you walk into a grocery store and say, where can I find your beer and wine? Or is there a liquor store here? Oh yeah, that's right next door. It's such a normal thing, which is why I have so much respect for a true alcoholic. And, and this might get and ruffle little feathers. And, and I understand, right? It's all the same disease. Yeah. But there are two struggles for people that I have the ultimate respect for when they beat their illness is alcohol and food. Okay. Alcohol, number one, you know, if I was and, and towards my bottom, you know, I was smoking crack cocaine and basically doing every drug under the sun. But if I could walk into a gas station every day and purchase crack, or if I could go into the grocery store, or if I could be done with my meal at a restaurant and order crack to the table, I don't know if I would have gotten clean. Um, and, and I don't think this is talked enough about, right? But there are distinct differences between a true alcoholic whose only drug of choice was alcohol and, and the difficulty in finding sobriety versus somebody who was a poly substance abuser using, you know, harder drugs, right? Yeah. And then food, people with food. a food addiction. Yeah. Yeah. It's Can you imagine... Charity, if you were told you just have to moderate your alcohol or Zach, um, it's great that you're doing heroin, but we're really going to need to do is only do it when you absolutely have to, to live and survive. So I really want you to moderate your heroin use. By the way, you could still buy it everywhere you go. And it is literally everywhere you go. It is surrounded by you. It's a pastime for people to do. Let's go out for heroin instead of let's go out to eat, right? So imagine food being your drug. You know, those are, and I'm taking us down kind of a rabbit hole, 
but you know, and, and Missy's been chiming in a lot and, and thank you, Missy. Um, you know, guilty. I love food. Who the fuck doesn't, you know, who doesn't, <laughs> who doesn't love food? I, you might not like a certain type of food. I can't stand liver, right? Don't give me anything with liver, liver, worse, liver and onions, liver, liver, chicken dinner. Like I don't, I, that gross, but if you put sushi in front of me and I'm hungry, I'm going to eat sushi, even if I'm not sitting across from Ben Stiller. So, <laughs> you know, so I think with alcohol sugar, being, I mean, don't get me started on sugar, but sugar, uh, right. Yeah, those, I, those cherry bomb, uh, sour cherry bomb sugars. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's all anyways. The, no, you're so true. It's, it's so right. It's, it really is. Um, and Pizza. I saw a, I saw a lot of food food addiction behavior in the modeling industry as well. Um, I never had that kind of willpower to be anorexic. <laughs> I just couldn't yeah. do it. So I, I I had success at right at the tail end of um of the wave thing, and I can just remember. Um, they used to tell me I looked like orphan Annie with tits, um, and I was about twenty pounds thinner than I am now. But them girls, I mean. I look like JLo next to them. <laughs> yeah. They call it heroin chic. Yeah. That's what they called it. It was, I was, I started getting successful right at the tail end of that. Um, but you couldn't be thin enough. And, and I remember after lunch, after lunch at a lot of these, you know, one vanity fair shoot I was at, you know, I'd walked into the ladies bathroom and I just smelled vomit. And I knew that the girl that they'd been praising for having, you know, a size six, size six over there is like size zero over here. Um, the stylist had literally been saying to the girl in the fitting, like we were putting clothes on and she had said to the girl, Oh, you look amazing. The one that had just vomited in the, in the toilet. And then there was another girl who was a size 10, but she was taller. She was bigger. And, and the stylist was saying, well, I don't know whose clothes you're going to think you're going to fit into here and just being really rude to her. And she was not fat. I mean, she had, she looked great, but mm -hmm. just the, the amount of like, positive reinforcement that that kind of addiction can get as well is is upsetting um all right so um and again i digress because i I'll, I'll take us off on these tangents which is why greg who's our producer told you backstage today that we will never get to everything that's on the actual production notes because uh, we only have an hour and you know we can and Zach can attest that we can kind of go off here and, and, and talk. So you were doing wine o'clock, you're doing push throughs, you're starting to drink gin, your kids are driving you fucking insane. <laughs> How long did this go on for? I, I know your twins are 11 now, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, and you've been in recovery now since 2019 um, or 2020. I don't remember. I think you have. How long are you sober at this point? Uh, probably almost two years now. Okay. But, All right. Um, so you had yeah. a good, you had a good eight or nine year run with alcohol. You know, how quickly did it progress? What point did you get to where you finally woke up one day and said, you know, I've had enough. Um, I think that really happened um, when I moved to Delray. I moved here about three years ago. I was in London before that. And I had a lot of support around me in London. Um, I had, um, I could get hold of the babysitter if I needed one, or I could go out and do the things that, you know, that I wanted to do and kind of be a rock star. <laughs> and then, 
you know, and dip in and out when I wanted to. And plus everyone around me was drinking like fish. So I didn't realize, I thought to myself, to my therapist, I'd, I'd said to my therapist um, that what was happening and that I'd gone into the laundry room several times and had several swigs of gin and did not know how much I was drinking, but I felt like shit. And, um, and she said, well, maybe you want to, maybe you want to go to AA because um, actually it's not that big a deal. Like it, it, they, they really do help you. And there's no shame in that. You should just go. Cause there's lots of really nice, fun people in there. Like most of those guys are like, are artists too. <laughs> They've been through all this and you know, you'll meet so many fun people. And I was like, Oh, okay. But I was still very like, mm, maybe I'm not ready to do that yet. And then I moved to, De this was in London. I moved to Delray, had 400 boxes to unpack two kids to try to figure out how to manage on my own and get to school on time in a new school. And they were also really stressed out about the divorce because I didn't mention this, but I was also in an abusive marriage and like it was chaos. It was absolute chaos. And I just remember driving them to school. I never drank in the mornings. I drank at night. We know once I would get them to bed, I just need to, to, um, to unwind and, I don't even know how much vodka I drank. <laughs> it was like, it got to a point where it was just like straight up. And then the next morning I just felt like shit. The sun was rising and I dropped them off at school and I was wearing these little cut off shorts and just like a stinky t-shirt. And I caught a look at myself in the mirror and I went, what is this? What am I, what the hell is going on? Like, no, this is enough. This is enough. It's a beautiful place. This is paradise. Like, why do I feel so rotten? This is dumb. And I just went online and I looked at an AA meeting and quickly before I could talk myself out of it, I went straight to the meeting and I was so scared of what I was going to find, or who I was going to find in there. I didn't know what I was going to be walking into. Um, I was more scared to walk into that room than I was standing in front of 5,000 people at the Royal Albert Hall or 14 million people on stage singing like an idiot. Um, you know, in my younger years, I was absolutely terrified and the meeting started and they had, everyone had to, you know, it was a women's meeting. They, everyone was like saying hello, their name and I'm an alcoholic and they got to me and I said it. I'm charity and I'm an alcoholic and just burst into tears and, and they got it. They completely understood where I was at and I felt so seen and, and held by them. And these are women who we're from all different walks of life. You know, um, some people will call my bottom pretty shallow. Um, and some, there are plenty of people who, who have ended up living under a bridge, <laughs> you know, and, and having to drag themselves out of that. And all I could think was there, but by the grace of God, go I, because, you know, the compassion and the non-judgmental um, space that AA and recovery really helps people to find their own sense of compassion, I think. And um, that was, they saved my life and, you know, AA saved my life. And I go to a meeting every morning now. Um, I've, when the pandemic hit, I started doing it by Zoom. And uh, it's in a step 11, a step 11 meeting and we do two way prayer and we share and it's transformative, just getting in, you know, staying in touch with the higher power and, um, and being there for each other. And um, yeah, it's a really, it's a wonderful experience. And I, I wish I'd done it way sooner. 
<laughs> wish I hadn't put off for so long, but that's really that's really awesome. We got uh Blake Cohen in the house. Blake is a best selling author. He uh, he wrote a book, um, I Love You More, I believe it's called, and it talks about the family's journey um through loved ones' addictions. Um so Blake, welcome to the show. Um, he's also an interventionist. Uh, just a, a shameless plug for Blake, who's a good friend of mine, and uh, a, another dynamic personality. Zach, what are what are some of your thoughts? Kind of. I just have, what, I have a, I have a question. So here, um, did you get sober before your ADHD diagnosis, or was this something that happened at around the same time? How did that How did that look for you? Well, I got sober before my ADHD diagnosis. What ended up was that I was sober and I was noticing that I still had a lot of the same symptoms of, you know, cognitive decline. I kind of thought I was having early dementia or anything. I did not understand how much um, female hormones or the lack thereof around my age would make a difference in, um, in cognitive abilities. I couldn't remember and I couldn't string a sentence together just about, I was terrified. It was like, and I kept going to the meetings and they would be like, yeah, there's a, there's something called POG. It's like a, a, a syndrome where you, you get brain fog for a period of time. Just wait it out. You'll be fine. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't fine. <laughs> so I started um, just diving down the rabbit hole and I found out that, oh, shoot, maybe I have ADHD. And then I started, I took the little tests, you know, that that's on the internet. And I was like, oh crap. <laughs> oh no, I've had this all along. Like actually, and my kids were like, you know, having symptoms all over the place and it was just chaos. It was utter chaos. But a lot of things, a lot of people may not know that um, because of the nature of ADHD being about your dopamine pathways um, and your dopamine, in fact, like you just don't have as much dopamine. So, and mental health as well, like being affected by that dopamine thing. It, it is a cascade of disaster if you don't know that you have it and you are trying to find your brain will always try to help you survive and cope and keep going. You know, a lot of thing, a lot of people with ADHD end up getting, um, especially women, because up until now, people didn't think women had ADHD, particularly if you were, quote unquote, highly functioning, like supposedly I have a very high IQ. And I did well most of the time, but you throw a couple of kids into a situation that like, you know, you might have a plan for anything, but kids are not robots. <laughs> like, they will mess up your plan pretty quick. <laughs> so, you know, this alcohol was my way of dealing with the overwhelm at the end of the day. That was basically my alcoholism was a way of coping with the ADHD that was undiagnosed. And when I went down the rabbit hole, I found a whole bunch of research that kind of showed that a really a pretty good percentage of people who end up in recovery have ADHD, um, that they are a comorbidity. Usually sometimes they are, sometimes they're not, but, um, you know, you're, if you don't have dopamine, it's very hard to make yourself do what you know is the right thing because you you don't have dopamine. Like dopamine is what makes you want to get up and walk across the room to get something that you want. Like they've done experiments with mice, like mice, when they remove the dopamine from the mice, like there could be a mate, like literally 
all they'd have to do is roll over to make out with this female mice and, and they won't do it because they don't have any dopamine. They just can't move. They won't do it. <laughs> so I started doing all this research. So I found out about the dopamine uh, thing and how other ways to increase your dopamine, um, things to not do. Um, and one thing that we are all having to deal with now is our dopamine pathways getting blasted out all day, every day with these screens, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we don't think about it because I mean, that's no, that's no mistake. The people who invented these things, like they know what they're doing <laughs> to us. Um, so it's just about making choices and knowing what, what choices there are to make, you know, um, yeah, dopamine's a big deal. So people who don't have dopamine will use, they have to use strong emotion to motivate themselves. Anxiety is one way of making yourself do something. Mm-hmm. Shame is another big one too. So you talk about a cocktail for alcoholism, shame and anxiety, running, you know, being used to motivate yourself constantly. I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is like really good stuff. Um, Charity, you actually shared with me kind of offline that after being in recovery and maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe five months ago or so, you were really struggling with depression. Yes. Um, And you brought up uh, TMS. Yes. Right, that's a transcranial magnetic stimuli stimulation. Stimulation, yeah, yeah. Stimulation, yeah, yeah. something like that. Not mm-hmm. for your sore, Peter. Um, no. It's for your. Don't put it. <laughs> I'll electrocute it. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you talk about just a, a minute or two, just a little bit about kind of the funk you fell into, and you know what's because people think that okay. You tackle one thing, you tackle alcoholism, drug addiction, you get clean, you ride this pink cloud, um, everything is great, you have new friends, you're no longer harming yourself, blah, 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 you're going to be happy the rest of your life. And I was told a long time ago that if you're going to ride the pink cloud, please make sure you have your pink parachute when you come diving off of that cloud because life still shows up. You know, life shows up for normal people who have never struggled with an addiction. We have really good days and really bad days. And more often than not, just a lot of days that are kind of in between both, right? With good and bad kind of interweave throughout. That's right. This was, this was different for you. You kind of crashed, right? You, you got depressed. Can you talk a little bit about the depression you went through and kind of where that took you and and how you got out of it? Yeah. Um, thank you for reminding me of that. You know, I think when I got the diagnosis, um, I thought that if I took enough coaching classes and um, I was just going to hyper-focus my way into hyper-organizing everything and it would all be fine and I would never have, I would not actually have ADHD or be an alcoholic anymore. (laughs) Now, anyone who just heard me said that who's ever, you know, been in recovery was probably laughing their ass off right now because... (laughs) So, um, I just remember like my kids had just, I had just done like two huge birthday parties for my kids. I was absolutely exhausted. I wanted to have a drink. I wasn't going to have a drink. I 
<laughs> like, I just couldn't stop crying. I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm doing all this stuff to try to get better. And like, nope, I'm depressed. That's it. I, I don't know. I don't, I got to figure this out. Ugh. And so I was a mess. I cried all day, every day. I didn't drink, kept going to the meetings, but boy, howdy, that was hard to not drink during that because, well, even every day, sometimes it's hard not to drink, but I had to re the thing that saved me and has been saving me so far is the connection with my higher power and the two way prayer and just keeping my ear to the ground about what it all means. Um, so I did a lot of deep diving into neurotransmitters and how ADHD works and even like, you know, alcoholism and what that does to your neurotransmitters. And, um, and I found out a lot of stuff. Um, I went and got my blood work done. Um, the other thing I didn't know is that I have the MTHFR gene, which means that you cannot process vitamin B, which means if you can't process vitamin B, your, your brain can't make the neurotransmitters that you need to be healthy. Um, and you get overwhelmed more and you have more anxiety. I think being close to the router did not solve the problem. I, I don't think it did either, but now but I'm going to say she's going to be back in five seconds. Four, so three, yep. two, one. We're back. Uh oh. Can't hear you. I'm really good at reading. I'm pretty good at reading lips if you want to, but it might be backwards. I don't know how this camera thing works. Oh, we're frozen up. Try talking now. You're on mute. There. There we go. Yeah. Okay, you're back. Why does that keep happening? I don't know. I swear I'm not touching anything. <laughs> anyway, how much of my rant did you miss? Um, Vitamin B doesn't work. Neurotransmitter. Yes. So there's a lot of information out there um, that doctors just you know, like your 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 average even your wonderful doctor probably wouldn't know about ADHD particularly with women with ADHD and even depression and anxiety and alcoholism like it's hard to find this information unless you go looking for it but I really did go looking for it and um, the things that have helped me have been the TMS machine it really does work there's one at home you can get as well but you can I'm sure the ones in the office that you pay a lot or your insurance pay company pays a lot for they work it really does work that and loving kindness meditation there's particular i did a deep dive on the types of meditation and what they do for your brain and the neuroscience behind them and i have a heart rate variability monitor which basically and this is all kind of science coming out now about you know the heart brain connection um and some some of these health apps will measure your heart rate variability. And people, I don't really understand what it is, but basically spiritually, what it is is like you your brain can get in the way of what your heart knows that you should be doing. Your heart knows what you ought to be doing. And this heart rate variability monitor, when I wear it, when I'm doing even things that I don't want to be doing, like housework or whatever, I can always whenever I get a little funky thought coming into my head, going you're not doing that right, or you need to be doing something else. The little thing will go blip and I'll know that I'm out of coherence. So it's teaching me how to be aware of when I get the little 
the little crazy monkey that gets in my head and goes, that's the ADHD one that goes squirrel, squirrel, or like, you know, whatever we, whatever bad self-talk we do to ourselves, um, which I think probably everybody has that, right? Unless that's just an ADHD oh, yeah. thing. I don't know. No, that's really, that's really awesome. Listen, we are running up at the end of episode number eight, Rhyme and Reason with Dr. Barry and Zach. Charity, you have been a breath of fresh air, a really awesome guest, you know, and just to kind of summarize, you know, lived in Plant City in a podunk town, wound up in Paris and Milan, dates with Ben Stiller, Jennifer Aniston's birthday parties, music industry, sharing a page, uh, a stage with Bob Dylan and uh, Neil Young and Alanis Morissette. Love that jagged little pill. Just what a life. And then now motherhood, motherhood, AA, in recovery, 11-year-old twins. They drive you nuts, but you're still doing the damn thing. They're went wonderful. through depression, <laughs> went through ADHD, and you still have a smile on your face and a glowing personality. So, you know, you. I'd say, I would say if no one has told you today, you're winning at life, okay? Despite what your head tells you. Because I think that, you know, we get caught up sometimes and I'm guilty of this and most humans are. We compare our insides against other people's outsides. Mm. And that's going to be a losing scenario every single time because everybody struggles with anxiety. Everybody goes through bouts of depression. Everybody has insecurities. There's always something that we have that most people don't just talk about. So um, if there's anything anybody gained from this today, and hopefully they did, was I have great dad jokes. So, you know, that, that is probably, <laughs> probably the most important thing. And the other thing we gained is Zach next time is going to write down his jokes so we can actually hear some of them because I'm really freaking disappointed in you that not wow. only did you forget the joke, you forgot the punchline too. So it's like you never even heard it. I like the buildup that I created now. So for next time, it's going to be like explosive. You're going to just... Be at the edge of your seat waiting for this joke. Thank That's you. Right. The dopamine yeah. will be building, so mm -hmm. we will be waiting oh, yeah. to hear that next. next Zach, podcast. Zach, you take care of your sore Peter on your day off. <laughs> Charity, thank you, thank, thank you, you for coming on, and <laughs> guys, thank me. you for tuning in, listening. As always, appreciate the support. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Bye -bye.